It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Avery Schreiber episode of The Muppet Show with our own very special guest star, Anthony Strand. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm David Levy, and here with me today are Christy Bauer, Michal Richardson, Adam Grossworth, and our very special guest star, Anthony Strand. Hey, Anthony. Hey, David. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. Anthony is a longtime writer for ToughPigs.com, where he once wrote a thorough mock history of the gingerbread men for the Don Knotts episode. Since 2017, he has been the co-host of the podcast Moving Right Along, where he and Ryan Rowe watch the Muppet movies two minutes at a time and talk about them a lot. He's also contributed to books including The Wider Worlds of Jim Henson and Comics Through Time. In real life, he's a middle school librarian in Farmington, Minnesota, where he enthusiastically hosts the morning announcements five days a week. Anthony, tell us a little bit about your history with the Muppets. So I, you know, it's funny, my my podcast co-host Ryan was on here and he talked about the book, Jim Henson, The Works, which was also such a formative book for me. I, you know, I was always a Muppet fan. I loved Sesame Street as a kid. You know, I enjoyed the Muppet Show. I remember when the Muppet Show was on Nickelodeon in the early 90s. I'm, you know, eight, nine years old. We didn't get Nickelodeon, but my grandma did. So the Muppet Show was like this exciting thing we got to watch at my grandma's house only. So I have very fond memories of that. But then the Jim Henson, the works book, I bought it when I was probably 13 or 14. And which that was my, that was my uh, main pastime in middle school was buying coffee table books at Barnes and Noble. Right? <laughs> um, Who among us? <laughs> right, right. But I remember getting that one and just every single thing that they talked about, Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas, Land of Gorge sketches from Saturday Night Live the Christmas toy, whatever, just being like, I have to see all of this, you know? <laughs> and, and that set me on the path to being like a, a Muppet obsessive, you know, really more than anything else was reading that book. I believe it. I have a copy of it sitting just to my right, right now. Sure. Um, and then I, I also, the, the Muppet show book was, is, have you guys talked about that on the show? Remind me. Yeah. You have, right. Yeah. Um, I used to check that one out of the public library a lot too, which is the the painted versions of sketches from the first two seasons. That I I read that more than I watched the Muppet Show because I could I could read it at home, you know, as a kid. No grandma required. No grandma required exactly. Um, so yes, I I am a librarian, but I think it's because books were my main way of enjoying the Muppets as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Adam. Where are we in the season? This is Season 1, Episode 16. It was taped the week of September 28, 1976, and it aired much later than that uh, on April 18, 1977 in New York. So it was the 16th episode made, but the 21st aired. It was actually the second-to-last episode of Season 1 to air. Um, elsewhere on the dial, there's no wife-swapping this week, but it was another interesting night of TV. The Muppet Show was followed on all three networks by President Carter's address on energy and the economy. And then on CBS, their regular programming was replaced by Pinocchio starring Sandy Duncan. So Sandy Duncan continues to follow us around. There are few people I would rather have following me around than Sandy Duncan. She makes <laughs> feel good all over. That's right. <laughs> to introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Avery Schreiber was a comedian and an actor and a Doritos pitchman and very much an, oh, that guy, when he pops up on TV or in movies. He was born in Chicago in 1935, and he came up through the Goodman Theater and Second City. He teamed up with Jack Burns, 
the same Jack Burns who would later become the head writer of The Muppet Show. And as the comedy team of Burns and Schreiber, they would record a bunch of albums, make many a television appearance, play the club circuit, etc. Their most famous recurring bit was the taxicab sketch, where Jack would play a customer hailing a cab driven by Avery. And there's a whole bunch of these on YouTube. We'll have a couple of them in the show notes. They're really funny, and they're almost funny just because of the rhythm of the way they talk to each other as much as for the jokes themselves. We're having fun here. We're salesmen all, every one of us. We're salesmen, you know. What do you guys sell? What do you sell? What do you sell? Uh, We sell, uh, we're tinsel salesmen. Tinsel? Yeah, tinsel, you know. Tinsel? Tinsel, like you put on your Christmas tree, you know. Like like you put on your Christmas tree. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I uh, I remember now. You told me you're uh, you're not of the uh, Christian persuasion, huh? No, I'm not persuaded. (laughs) You're what we call your uh, Judaic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it makes you uncomfortable, you know you can get another cab. What, are you kidding me? I don't care what a man is. Besides, I couldn't get another cab this time of night anyway. Even while they were doing the nightclub circuit, Avery was pursuing his acting career. He was the villain, Captain Manzini, on My Mother the Car in 1963. Uh, In 1967, Burns and Schreiber shared top billing with Rolf and the Doodletown Pipers on the summer replacement variety show, Our Plays, which I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast, but we definitely have a blog post about on the blog section of our website. And it's a very charming black and white variety show that I think shows both why all of these individual elements were good and also why variety shows maybe died an appropriate death when they did. In 1973, Burns and Schreiber hosted their own show on ABC called the Burns and Schreiber Comedy Hour. Uh, he also, without Jack Burns, was a frequent guest star on Chico and the Man, on The Match Game, and on a whole lot of other television shows really throughout the rest of his life. He also worked in film, although his film career was not particularly distinguished. Some highlights were Don't Drink the Water in 1969, The Concord, Airport 79, and in the 90s, uh, the Mel Brooks movies Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and Dracula, Dead and Loving It. You know, I always feel so bad for Avery Schreiber about that. Like, he's in Mel Brooks's last two movies, which is the worst time to join the Mel Brooks repertory company, right? Yeah. He starred in Doritos commercials through the 70s and into the 80s, and I think that actually has a lot to do with his, oh, hey, it's that guy status. All of those, I think, are on YouTube, so we'll also have a selection of them in our show notes. He also worked on stage, primarily in regional theater and summer stock, Uh, I looked up his Broadway career and it's just like flop after flop after flop. And it's really kind of sad. Uh, And his final appearance on stage was on Broadway in the flop. Welcome to the club in 1989. In the 80s, he got into voiceover work, lending his talents to a lot of Saturday morning cartoons, including the Smurfs and a pup named Scooby-Doo. And in fact, one of his final team ups with Jack Burns was when they both voiced characters on Animaniacs playing Slappy the Squirrel's enemies, Sid the Squid. That was Jack and Beanie the Braindead Bison. That was Avery. And uh, he died in 2002. Adam, you had some thoughts. I, I mean, they're not good thoughts. I just, this is a, a a really weird case of like, what were the 70s and and what was being a child in the 70s? Because, I mean, you, you said he's a, he's a, hey, it's that guy. He has such a distinctive face. Um, and if you're listening to us without watching the episodes, just like take a look at the show notes and and you will see it. I don't understand why I know who this guy is. And I really did not have a good memory of this episode at all, but I know who this guy is. Like if you say every Schreiber to me, my brain conjures an image 
of this man and his mustache. He kind of looks like if <laughs> but, the Pringles guy were a real person. Yeah, <laughs> a little. A lot of like a prototype of Captain Lou Albano. Also that. Yeah, I can see that. He's a, kind of a living cartoon character. Um, I mean, we'll get into some of that in terms of what he does in the episode. But like, whereas I understand Ruth Buzzy and Jim Neighbors, like even though, like why they would have seeped into my my child brain, even though I wasn't like consuming their their things. I don't understand why I know who every tribe was, but I definitely do. I'm guessing it's because of the match game. Yeah, that was my guess. You I said never the, watched image the match of him. game as a child, though. At all. It's the kind of thing that was just on, right? Like, you're homeschool and and there's just, like, daytime blocks of game shows. It really, like, he, he haunts me, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to also play Kermit's intro of him, um, because I think he really overpromises. Welcome, welcome, dear friends, and we have another goodie for you. Our guest is a young man and an old friend who's been making television and nightclub audiences laugh for many years as part of the comedy team of Burns and Schreiber. And right now he's launching a new career as a movie performer and a television star in his own right, Mr. Avery Schreiber. So we should have another biggie, but right I just find that's a goodie and a biggie. It's, well, it's very weird. like his friend is, you know, is writing this and is yeah. picking him up. And what's super weird to me is how it ends like a little abruptly and then it's like and now here's a sketch that does not happen <laughs> right also i mean that uh, happens a lot in these intros <laughs> yeah but this was like much more abrupt than usual yeah also burns or schreiber was 41 and kermit calls me i'm younger than i am now but not a young man so I mean... can i can, can i actually read an excerpt from an article my friend danny horn wrote for tough pigs please do <laughs> years and years ago he he reviewed most of the first season back in 2003 and in his review of this episode, he says, I'm not taking anything away from young Mr. Avery Schreiber here, but he's not exactly the kind of guest who needs no introduction, is he? He's not one of your Paul Simons or your Carol Burnett's or your Peter Sellages. The Q rating is not high. He's more the, can you remember anybody's phone number offhand kind of guest star? The other half of the comedy team of Burns and Schreiber would be Jack Burns, the head writer for the first season of The Muppet Show. But like I said, I'm not criticizing. The guy's funny, and according to Kermit, he's a young man. He's a kid, young Master Schreiber. Just starting out in the business, and they're giving him a leg up on his new career. I can't be too rough with him. Never let it be said that I pick on children. <laughs> well said. Nicely done. And we yeah. will we will link to that whole review in the show notes. Why don't you get Anthony is our guest. What did you think of this episode? So I, I requested to be on this episode, because this is my favorite episode of season one. To me, this is the perfect version of what the season one Muppet show is. Like, I always felt like if the show had been canceled after season one and was just a weird curiosity, this would be the episode that best realizes the potential of, of what the Muppet show is. Like, I think every sketch is funny, you know, and a couple of them are, are just kind of whatever, but nothing's painful for me, at least. Maybe, maybe I'll find that some of you feel differently. And Avery Schreiber, you mentioned, I think Adam mentioned that he feels like a cartoon. He feels like a Muppet to me. Like he's the most in sync with the Muppet sensibility, I think, of the guest stars we've seen so far. Certainly, maybe Rita Moreno, you know, and then him. But uh, to me, this is just like the show firing on on all cylinders in a way that like this version of the show is going to die at the end of the season. But this is the best that that version of the show ever gets to be, I think. And maybe it's because Jack Burns knows how to write for Avery Schreiber, which which would make sense, you know, like whatever. 
but I, I think this is, this is one of the, one of the all time classics for me. Christy, how about you? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, well, for an opposite take, uh, to, to quote the great Aaron Oscar, I found this episode insufficiently arresting. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't hate it. I, I just found it mostly kind of boring. I, I laughed a little bit during the Electric Mayhem number, and we'll get into that. Um, but by and large, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. Um, I, I do agree that Avery Schreiber has Muppet energy and, you know, kind of looks and feels like a Muppet himself. So I, I do think that he is a good fit tonally and stylistically. And so I, I appreciated the effort and the energy, but the end result is is just not one of my favorites. But I, I do just want to comment that Piggy's eyelashes were particularly fabulous this week. So it gets some points for that. <laughs> yeah. And she fixed her wig lace from last week. which was It's not good. Michal, what did you think? I will uh, echo both the positive and the meh. Uh, Avery Schreiber does feel very Muppety and enthusiastic and fun. And he does have such an expressive face and, I wanted to enjoy it more than I did. It just kind of slid out of my brain, like Christy said. Um, We've talked a lot in the last few episodes about how some of these guests made more sense in the 70s. And I actually, I got the sense that Avery Schreiber would have just made more sense in a whole other era. Like when they put him in a silent sketch, it makes so much sense. Like it, it felt like the the way that he was so expressive with his face that he did it with the banana also. <laughs> just it's and I'm laughing remembering how evocatively he puts a banana in his ear. It's funny to watch him do silent comedy. There there was something, and then the the sketch where he had to speak and he did this Ralph Cramden vibe that just didn't land with me. There there were different things I would have liked to see him do. He definitely has like Oliver Hardy energy in a lot of this, mm-hmm. you know, to, to cite a specific comedian from a much earlier age. Like there's just something about the way that he like flings his large body around that reminds me of Oliver Hardy from Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, that makes sense. I think he, he resonated with me in a certain way that just resonates less in this century. I think. Sure. David, what did you think? I think that's probably why I liked it better than you, because I've spent the last year really immersed in the films of the 30s and 40s. And he does, to me, he feels less like a silent movie comedian and more like a vaudeville burlesque comedian. And I dig that. I watched this episode twice, and both times I found myself surprised at how quickly it was over, which is usually the sign that I'm enjoying it, unless I've just totally zoned out, which I don't think was the case here, with the exception of the UK sketch, which if there was an option to watch without, I would choose that but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Which is a great segue to talk about the music. <laughs> Forget about that jazz. Listen, Turkey. <laughs> I, 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 I'm really, really trying to find organic places to say that in my life. And so far I'm struggling. So yeah, so uh, not a lot of music comparatively in this episode, but we've got a few things to talk about. Our first number is uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem pouring a lot of notes into a one-note joke. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we like to do for you an old favorite. We like to think of our group as being able to play more than hard rock. So here's an old favorite for some of you moms and pops. It's called, and we'll play tenderly. The evening brings 
caress the trees tenderly. Yeah. The trembling trees embrace the breeze tenderly. So yeah, that's that's basically the joke, except you get pretty much the whole song. Uh, so uh, this is a song, as Dr. Teeth says, called Tenderly. Uh, it's a song from 1946 with music by Walter Gross and lyrics by Jack Lawrence. It's a standard. It's been recorded by a whole bunch of people. Uh, Walter Gross, uh, the composer, had his own radio program at the age of 14 where he played the piano. And this was a melody that he had written years and years and years before and would play for friends. And somehow it found its way to Jack Lawrence. Jack Lawrence asked Walter Gross if he could write lyrics. And he was like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. And uh, apparently Walter Gross wasn't a huge fan of the lyrics that Jack Lawrence wrote, but it made the song a success. So uh, he couldn't complain too much, much, I guess. And this is actually the second uh, Jack Lawrence song that we've gotten because Jack Lawrence also wrote the lyrics to Never Smile at a Crocodile. And uh, Jack Lawrence got a degree in podiatry early in his life to appease his parents. But his big dream was to be a songwriter. And so he, he stuck it out and, uh, you know, ended up becoming a success. Other notable songs of his include the English lyrics to La Mer, known to us as uh, Beyond the Sea. And he also, in, in the Disney realm, wrote the lyrics to Once Upon a Dream. And also relevant to a few episodes ago, he was one of the producers of Lena Horne, The Lady and Her Music. Why are there so many songs about toenails? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm imagining, is that until he made it, he was just writing songs about feet. And I, I want to hear that part of his career, but I kind of don't, but I kind of do. There's some great songs about feet. You got one on The Muppet Show. Happy Feet. Oh, you're talking about heavy. Actually, enough. talking about your feet's too big, which is also a great song. Yeah. <laughs> See, there's plenty of room for a podiatrist with a dream. Mm-hmm. So, the highest charting version of "Tenderly" was by Rosemary Clooney, and we've got a clip of that. The evening breeze caressed the trees tenderly. The trembling trees embrace the breeze tenderly. So yeah, slightly different than how our, our friends the Electric Mayhem render it. Yeah, the, the Rosemary Clooney version uh, went up to number 17 in 1952. And since we've been nerding out about the charts over the last few weeks, I, I did a little digging into what the charts were like before the creation of the Hot 100, which is the main pop chart uh, as we know it now. The Hot 100 was created in 1958. So anything that's listed as a hit pre-1958 was measured by three separate charts. There was a bestsellers in stores, most played by jockeys and most played in jukeboxes. And the bestsellers in stores typically carried the most weight. So yes, this would have been the number 17 highest selling song at that point in 1952. And the Hot 100 was created to sort of synthesize all of those metrics into one easy to understand chart. And jukeboxes ended up getting dropped as they sort of fell out of popularity and streaming got added in the 21st century. So there's some chart nerdery for you. <laughs> I wonder what's most played on jukeboxes now. Probably songs from the 50s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tenderly up there. Were there any other famous covers of Tenderly, Christy? Oh, I'm pretty sure a noted Joe Raposo stand, Frank Sinatra, recorded it at one point. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, in a way, the Electric Mayhem are ahead of their time in doing a sort of punk cover of a you know classic songbook song. There was even a, a Muppet Show covers album that did some things sort of like this with slower Muppet Show songs in the 2010s, I guess. But this is I found this really unpleasant to listen to. <laughs> I actually found the original fairly unpleasant to listen to also, but for different reasons. <laughs> it's just not, it's not good. Interesting. I, I think it's a blast. I love it. All right. Yeah, I thought it was a blast before I understood the joke. And the, the Rosemary Clooney clip just now was the first recording of it that I've heard besides the Muppet ones. Now right, I understand. <laughs> so, you know, Scooter saying later, oh, great. That was, so, I don't remember what adjectives he used, but he says, my grandmother will love it, uh, which is supposed to be the joke that they are, they are playing tenderly not tenderly, but even if you don't get the joke, I think it's fun. Yeah. So I I don't think you need to know the original to get the joke. Do you? I mean, I figured it out eventually without hearing the Rosemary Clooney clip. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of, I got it from Dr. T's dialogue. I I thought, but right. I don't know. I I think, I think this has been done better probably by the Muppets. (laughs) I just didn't, I didn't like the execution on this one. So can we, can we talk about Janice real quick? Always. This, I think, is Aaron Oscar's most enthusiastic performance as Janice. I love how she's just kind of like bouncing up and down on her guitar. Like she's almost using it as a pogo stick. You know, like <laughs> Zoom is playing that sax riff and Janice is just bouncing up and down. So tenderly. I love it. I like, again, talking about this being like the ideal season one, this is one of the first times Janice feels like a character, I think. And well, this is also a new Janice puppet, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That too. So that might have something to do with it too. And I want to claim that I noticed that just by watching. And I sort of did because this one has boobs and the previous one I do not think did. Hmm. Um, But also I read about that in Muppet Wiki. And in this episode, we'll actually see both the old Janice puppet and the new Janice puppet, depending on which sketch we're watching. It is super weird that she has boobs though. Can we just say (laughs) that? (laughs) For sure. That's the thing. I can imagine this Janice saying for sure, right? Like it's, it's not Richard Hunt yet, but <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we're getting there. And that makes sense. So we have a bit of actual tenderness in the UK spot this week. May you always walk in sunshine, slumber warm when night winds blow. So, uh, it, it sounds like it, you know, could just be a, like a barbershop quartet, but, but no, it's a, a motley crew of dogs and cats or dogs. It's a barbershop and- quartet. Oh, ha ha. <laughs> it's yeah. Dogs, plural cat singular. Bad bug! <laughs> Uh, so we've got uh, Ralph on piano, uh, joined by Muppy Baskerville and Catgut, who, unlike uh, his performance in "Thank God I'm a Country Boy," learned all the words this week. Uh, so uh, points to him. And he gained an eye. Creepy looking. Sure. Less creepy though, with, without his eye patch. I guess I fucking hate Catgut. <laughs> I can't explain why. I just it's, it's wow. funny it's, to. It's funny to hear you describe Catgut as male because Catgut is a, a female character in Muppet Musicians of Bremen. Well, so, so she's always like a she's always a woman in my mind, regardless well, of who's she, playing. She came back from the Pet Cemetery wrong, and <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I got. Sure. 
so before we get into the specifics of the the scenario, we can, let's talk about the song a little bit. So this was "May You Always," which was a hit for the Maguire Sisters in, in 1959. Um, it was originally published in 1958. Uh, lyrics by Larry Marks and music by Dick Charles, which is a pseudonym of Richard Charles Krieg. And Larry Marks had his biggest hit uh, with a song by Jimmy Dean uh, called IOU, which apparently gets a lot of play on Mother's Day, or at least it did at one point. And he was also a screenwriter. He wrote the movies for Love or Money and Wild and Wonderful and a lot of TV scripts for shows including Bonanza, I Dream of Jeannie and the Flintstones. And uh, Dick Charles, who wrote the music, worked a lot in radio in the 40s and 50s. He was an NBC page at one point. So my mental picture of him was <laughs> Kenneth from 30 Rock. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a song that Kenneth could have written. And, uh, and this was definitely his most enduring song. Dick Charles, not Kenneth. Uh, <laughs> and the, the Maguire sisters were a, a trio of actual sisters, actually named Maguire, uh, who uh, was Christine, Dorothy, and Phyllis. And uh, Phyllis just passed away in December of 2020. And they had several big hits, including a couple number ones, uh, Sincerely and Sugar Time. And Wikipedia refers to May You Always as the best-selling sheet music of 1959, but I couldn't corroborate that elsewhere. But the scenario of this is, so uh, this uh, bark or shop uh, quartet is singing to a a picture of Lassie. I hate everything about this. <laughs> Do you hate that they love Lassie so much or that it looks like this is a shrine to Lassie who has it died? It's like a funeral. Yeah. It, I, I, I don't like the song. I don't like the arrangement. I don't like that Cat Cat isn't wearing an eye patch. I, <laughs> I found a couple of funny bits of Lassie trivia. One that I enjoy is uh, John Provost, who played Timmy, wrote a memoir fairly recently. I think, well, I think within the last 15 years. And the title of it is Timmy's in the Well. (laughs) 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 Which I thought was very funny. Um, But also... What if he had well, actually? Oh, that's good, too. Um, (laughs) But I, I discovered that Lassie is one of three dogs who have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The only one who's not a German Shepherd. The other two are Rin Tin Tin and Strongheart. And then I found myself... Who Strongheart? Also, where is uh, Rolf? <laughs> I'm getting there. Strongheart uh, was a, a German shepherd who was in a lot of silent films. I also found my way to the fictional characters who have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame page. And there are three Muppet-related stars. Can you guess what they are? Well, Kermit. Yeah, that's Big one. Bird. That's Big the, Bird. the other. Uh, the, the, the third one is just the Muppets generally. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Lassie was always played by a male dog, so I'm I'm just gonna you know Rolf's fixation raises some questions. Have we talked about Rolf's fixation? Because this is a, a well established thing from before the Muppet Show. There's a whole episode of Jimmy Dean where Lassie guest stars, and Rolf is both starstruck and totally horny for Lassie. <laughs> Uh, we will include that clip in the show notes. It is delightful. Please watch it. All of those Jimmy Dean segments have just kind of resurfaced lately because some cable channel aired them. And so like fans have ripped them and, and put them online. And it's, it's such been, a blessing. It's been such a delight to see that stuff. It's like getting brand new Jim Henson as Rolf stuff. You know, it's incredible. I want to continue to be the cheerleader for this number. Because I love this song. I sing it to my daughter as a lullaby often. That's delightful. And it's entirely because, like, I don't know this song outside of this. I don't know it outside of outside of Jerry Nelson doing that. 
country voice. But to me, this is one of the loveliest songs in the Muppet Show in five seasons. I think it's gorgeous and it makes me tear up every time. That's very sweet. I just think it's very syrupy, which is also true of Tenderly. Sure. And putting them both in the same episode is maybe a bit well, much, but- even though obviously we don't get a syrupy version of Tenderly. See, again, I never knew Tenderly was syrupy. I just thought it was like a hard rock and electric mayhem song. (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly reasonable. So Wayne and Wanda bring us another repeat song. You may meet a stranger. You may meet a stranger. Yeah, so Wayne got eaten by Gorgon Heap. Uh, and uh, so we, we've talked about some Enchanted Evening before. It's from South Pacific. It's a Rodgers and Hammerstein song. I want to point out that this joke is uh, based on a misheard slash misremembered lyric. <laughs> because in, in the actual song, it's, you may see a stranger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I suppose <laughs> you're right. And I looked it up to see if like there was like a, a, a later bit that I was forgetting. No. No, it's it's just wrong, but it's it's still funny. Meat Which not eat Bert is always sing? funny. Oh, but Bert sings it correctly because, of course, he does. Obviously, he did his research. <laughs> well, I wonder then. In the intro to this, Sam says, "Get it right this time," which <gasps> sticks out because it's the first time we've ever heard Sam be critical of Wayne and Wanda, and I wonder if that's ties into like get it right, not like don't have a tree fall on you, but get it right, like sing the right lyrics. And then you won't get eaten. Perhaps. He's had enough of Wayne getting eaten. (laughs) He just wants them to be cultural. Yeah, he's trying his best. I have nothing to add, but I've been very negative, and I want to say I found this delightful. (laughs) (laughs) And Gorgon Heap does this little shrug when he says sorry. Yeah, what do you want me to do? He said, (laughs) I I just did what I heard. Yeah. I love Gorgon Heap. I think he's such a cool-looking puppet. Yeah. One of my favorites. Very distinctive. Mm-hmm. And Wanda talking back is like a new color also. I don't know. It's 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 a little different. I liked it. I wasn't on the other episode where you talked about some Enchanted Evening. But can I just point out another Muppet connection to this song? Please. In uh, the late 80s, they did this series of videos for very young children called the Play Along Videos, which were hosted by these two kind of generic whatnot, anything Muppet kids named Kylie and PJ. And in one of those videos called, Hey, you're as funny as Fozzie bear. They do this knock, knock joke, knock, knock. Who's there? Sam and Janet. Sam and Janet who? Sam and Janet evening. (laughs) I think about that way more than it deserves. (laughs) I think about that joke also more than it deserves because when I was little, my parents had friends named Sam and Janet. Is that true? So we would just sing that song and do that joke in our house before I had ever heard the song. That's amazing. <laughs> that joke would kill in certain circles. Oh, sure. Yeah, My yeah. circles. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, we have a song that I can only describe as... When I saw this the first time, I thought maybe my brain forgot how to process music. <laughs> uh, I call I, I titled the clip Avery's Dumb Song, which tells a spoiler on how I feel. Oh, boy. <laughs> 
I didn't even know what to clip. It's like, what? I love this. I yeah, too. I like the little, can you do that? I think it's really cute. I mean, it is the most 70s thing that ever 70s. Yeah. And for that, I respect it and its place in the in the cultural history. And it just, and yet, I don't know, it has the same energy as Florence Henderson doing Happy Together. It's just like the guest star having a great time surrounded by monsters. We're also having a great time. What's up? Yeah. Goose babies. Goose babies. Can't argue yeah. with that. It's because we learned that the Coos parents survived their ordeal of exploding. (laughs) (laughs) There is a Coos parent there as well. Or they regenerated somehow. Yeah. yeah. Or it's just a different male Coosvanian. Right. They could all just look the same. (laughs) That's racist. (laughs) (laughs) I I was thinking like, you know, like penguins or what. I don't know. (laughs) It's probably the same puppet. (laughs) I'm sure it is. Yeah, this was really cute. I got a a really sweet kind of sesame vibe out of it. Like somebody just showed up with the guitar and like gathered all the kids and was like, hey, you want to do a sing along? Mm-hmm. And yeah, all the monsters yeah. said, yeah. Right. Well, I'm dead um, inside. When it started, I thought he was going to play the song Brand New Key. It has that like very similar groove and mm-hmm. and which would be a very weird song for Avery Sharper to sing, but like whatever. <laughs> it's been a very weird episode, so why not? Yeah, no, to me this song is like season one of the Muppet Show, like in miniature. It's just a bunch of nonsense, but it's really fun and I enjoy watching it. Yeah, it's worth pointing out that uh, uh Avery Schreiber wrote this song. Um <laughs> Uh, and it was arranged by Derek Scott, the the musical associate for the show, who also wrote the music in the museum sketch later, which we'll talk about. But yeah, no, it's fun. I I don't mean to cast major aspersions. I just you know com- comparing this to, to Happy Together is a bit of a stretch. In my yeah, book. I think I, I I think I'm dead inside, and I also think that the just the, the particular sounds that he's making just like triggered my misophonia in a particular oh. way, and I just like couldn't handle it avery's making these like sort of gulpy sounds and it's just, it's not for me <laughs> <laughs> the, melodically it's fine and and yes everyone's having a good time the goose babies are very cute can't ignore those goose babies Ready, three two one fire it is shout out of a cannon time Speaking of canonical bits, let's talk about the opening gags right away. Hey, did you know that George the janitor is so cheap that his wallet has an unlisted pocket? Am I too hip for the room? Back off, Fozzie. I barely (laughs) even clocked that this was a joke about George. (laughs) Because I I heard this on, I don't remember which, the the Muppet Show cast album. It was on one of those records uh, that I had on a tape and... I heard it so many times that I never even absorbed what the joke was. Either that George is so cheap or I'm too hip for the room. It's all just kind of background noise in my mind. Oh, I just got now that it's hip because that's where your wallet is. I don't know if that was intended, but yeah, I'm not sure that's. I think it's just that no one laughs at the joke. <laughs> no, but I, I, no, I, I do think it's like supposed to be a, a play on like I'm making a joke about a wallet. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we had a discussion about whether it is 
okay to make fun of a janitor for being cheap and concluded that it's probably not. Yeah, he's also it's the Muppets. He's clearly underpaid. Yeah, I found I found Fozzie being a little classist here. Yeah, he's also old. He lived through the Depression. Like, come on. <laughs> it's George. It's our beloved break. George. Give the guy a break. <laughs> also in the opening, we have uh, Gonzo trying to strike that O uh, and instead hitting beautiful Day Monster who just pops up out of nowhere and gets clocked. And I think it's funny. That's a good one. That was one, one of like my favorite one. moments. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason, but it's the Muppet Show. So, uh, uh, thoughts from our, our yay correspondent here? We have a clip. That's what it's time to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you Mr. Avery Schreiber! So, I lost my shit at this because Herbert's <laughs> been singing the same goddamn song all year and he forgot the fucking words? What is that about? Is that- He's not allowed to improvise a little. It's what no. it's trying to do. Is no, there's close. a script. You stick to the script. The lyricist wrote the lyrics. Sing. <laughs> it's disrespectful to the lyricist to sing your own goddamn words. Christy, oh, back man. me up. Oh yeah, no, I you're you're singing the song of my people. Um, I also have a question about Kermit that has nothing to do with the gay. Uh, was this week's transfer crisper than usual? Because Kermit looked rough. Like he like he looked extra pilly. Like he'd been left he in the dryer for too long. I wondered about that too. It might have been uh, Avery Schreiber petting him in the talk spot. Just maybe, like maybe they need to lint roll him after that. Uh, to go back to the yay, though, <laughs> let's get back to the important stuff. When it goes to the clip of Avery Schreiber, it's showing him in the "Make Me a Song" sketch. So he's surrounded by all of the the birds and fish and monsters, whatever it is. And so Kermit doesn't really give a yay but it immediately goes into the birds making their like bird sounds, which kind of give us a yay fake out. Mr. Avery Schreiber! Huh. There is a, a tiniest out. hint of a yay at the very end. See if I can, see if I can get it. It's like a little, ah. It's very weird. <laughs> yeah. He's not being yanked backwards this time. What's funny, though, is that regardless of what's coming out of Kermit's mouth, he's always making the yay hand motions. Like, even on the, like, at the end of the episode, where I don't think he says anything resembling a yay, he definitely, like, does the arm wavy thing that we associate with yay. Yeah, so, like, we want to hear yay. It's like those, uh, those tests that your psychology professors would give you, where you see the word green, but it's written in red or something. Like, you see the arms doing yay, and you think you hear yay. I'm with you. Okay, thank you. I get it. <laughs> thank you. I don't know what those tests are called. Anyway, that's our Yay-volution for this week. Thank you, Yay-volutionist. Let's talk about the backstage plot. Uh, Miss Piggy has set out to make Kermit jealous, which, against all odds, seems like it might actually be working, until we remember that she enlisted Scooter's help to accomplish this, and Scooter cannot and should not be trusted. You may have noticed I have given my love to Kermit. You may also have noticed his reluctance in returning same. Oh, so you want me to get your love from Kermit and give it back to you. Oh, okay. Where, where does he keep it? <laughs> Amusing little twit, isn't he? <laughs> no, bonehead! I want you to make him jealous! Oh, I see. I want you to tell him that Avery Schreiber is simply mad about me. 
Oh, you want me to lie? <laughs> Just do it. Scooter's little take to the camera. She says amusing <laughs> so little cute. twit. He just poses and owns it. He knows he's an amusing little twit and he's loving it. And it's so adorable. And I laugh every time. It's weirdly like ahead of its time too. Cause it's like, cause she, she's breaking the fourth wall when she says that. And he's like, Oh, are we talking to the camera? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like something out of the office. And, and Scooter will do it again later in the episode. Like, I, I almost wonder if it's Richard Hunt hasn't quite got the hang of how television works yet. Maybe. Or he's just having fun. Right. Yeah, it works. I, I do notice that this feels like an evolution of Scooter. Yeah. The previous times that he's been the focus of a backstage story, he's been sort of a jerk. And now he's a little more the sweet idiot. And it's the sweet idiot that I love, not the jerk. So I'm happy right. to see it. Yeah, he's managed to shed his all about Eve vibe. Yeah, he seems he seems happy to be like involved in the in the shenanigans rather than like above it all. My uncle owns this theater kind of stuff, right? I mean, he comes in and stirs the pot, and then later when this backfires, we don't see it happen on screen. Kermit just says, "Oh yeah, I found Scooter told me this was a trick." It just Scooter just felt like ending the charade. I don't know. It's confusing. But before that happens, in the talk spot, Piggy's plan actually kind of starts to work. Oh, Miss Piggy. Oh, you can call me by my real name, which few men have called me. Pigathius. Pigathius? It's from the Greek meaning river of passion. (laughs) Miss Piggy. You can call me Avery. It's from the Yiddish, meaning hold the mayo. Well, you can both call me a cab, because I'm getting out of here, and so are you. What's What's the the matter? matter? Well, I know what's been going on behind my back, but Miss Piggy is my girl. You're just a guest on this show. just passing through town. She loves me, and she's going to have dinner with me tonight. After the show, Miss Piggy, you and me alone. And then he just hops backwards. He just yeets himself out of there. It's like he's getting <laughs> vacuumed up by the butt. It's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was really charming. He was just like going to parkour out of here. Just hop directly onto my tailbone. I guess it's worth mentioning that Kermit doesn't say that he loves Piggy. He yells at Avery that Piggy loves him and that she is going to have dinner with him tonight. He doesn't. He neither tells her about his feelings nor does he ask her whether she's free tonight. Well, he does say she's my girl. It's true. That's almost a feeling. It's a feeling it, of declaring ownership. possession of her is almost yeah. a feeling. <laughs> <sighs> Happy nineteen seventy six, everybody. <laughs> and we've talked before about what does Kermit want, and it is uh, we we might consider that Kermit might himself be reassessing what he wants at this point. Whether he's actually interested in Piggy? I think that's what we're supposed to get from it anyway. I mean, I, I think the execution is a little is a little awkward, like you say. But I do think we're supposed to be we're supposed to genuinely take it as seeing, you know, his you know, seeing a rival is making Kermit feel like maybe maybe he is into Piggy after all. Right? I I think I mean, certainly that's, that's what Piggy's hoping will happen. Right, but I think that's what's supposed to be happening here, right? Piggy is my girl, like, you know, I don't know. I think he's saying, like, 
Actually, I I am sweet on Miss Piggy. He doesn't say it, but I think that's what it's supposed to mean. I mean, that is what we are supposed to infer. Yeah. I guess we'll we'll find out in the coming weeks whether it feels believable. Uh, as long as we're in the talk spot. I don't know how I feel about Avery Schreiber making two Jewish jokes about himself within a minute or two of each other. With the Yiddish for hold the mayo, I think is funny. And then there's a a, a bit where Piggy's trying to get him to kiss her, and he says, "My family never touched a pig, let alone put their lips to one." And I maybe that's a maybe this is a me problem, but people calling attention to themselves being Jewish on TV just makes me feel weird. Is that right? I mean, I have I have complicated feelings about Jewish representation on television. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. I um, for example, in the '90s, I had a hard time watching like The Nanny or Seinfeld because I felt like. <laughs> I mean, like, I, like I felt like a mix of oh no, am I like that, or is that how people see me? But I don't find that with these jokes, in part because they're not they're not like jokes that are in any way critical of the experience of being Jewish. So they're sort of a different kind of Jewish joke. Like they're a joke from within the experience of being Jewish. I don't know. Right. And they're not even self-deprecating. Maybe that's what it is. What I found interesting about the second joke is that they don't hang a lantern on it in any way. When I commented on the, the Peter Ustinov episode, just sort of about the, the Jewishness of some of the stuff that was happening in general, right? He, he doesn't say, he never says the word Jewish or the word kosher. He just says, my family never touches pork. And it is understood that the broad international audience will get that joke. Well, I I think that's so much of the history of comedy in the 20th century is smuggling in Jewishness and then eventually like making it concrete, right? Totally, like, totally. But to watch it from our very fractured 2021, I just I I noticed it. Sure. Yeah. It feels very explicit where it's been implicit perhaps in previous episodes. Well, it sticks out to me, too, because I think of the Muppets in general as being a very Goyesha comedy troupe. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a there's not a lot of, like, Jewishness to their writing uh, or their performance. In the or their way performers, that, like, now that Cynthia Adler's gone. <laughs> right, right. And, like, not even in the way that... So there's, like, a famous... Uh, in the musical theater world, there's a famous story about how... I think it was Cole Porter, who is, like, one of the only not-Jewish successful Broadway songwriters of that generation. And he talked about the secret to the success was to write Jewish melodies. And I feel like with comedy, that's often the case too, where like you don't have to be a Jewish comic to sort of adopt Jewish humor. But I I don't find that to be the kind of humor that the Muppets by and large do, except when they have a guest star who comes in and injects it. And I think sometimes that's why it feels super awkward. Like with the Peter Ustinov and Fozzie scholar sketch because it was just like such an ill fit for like what the Muppets are good at. I don't know. I've, I feel something similar when the Mel Brooks has a cameo in the Muppet movie and he makes a whole bit out of kosher bacon. And I, I, I don't know. It's just drawing attention to something that doesn't feel that funny to me to begin with. There are other funnier ways to make Jewish jokes than to just yell the word kosher. <laughs> right. And I guess I'm thinking of it more from the audience point of view. Um, 
and particularly just having having grown up on the upper side of Manhattan, like it, of course, it all made sense to me. But um, well, what 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 I think is kind of striking though is that I grew up in North Dakota. I didn't know a single Jewish person, and just from being a fan of old comedy, it all made sense to me. <laughs> right, and I think that's you know a I thing mean? that has largely shifted culturally. That, yeah, that you know that everything is so much more fragmented now that this joke would have needed more explanation if this show were being made now, I think. I, I found an article that we'll put in the show notes from The Forward, which is a national Jewish newspaper, that makes the argument that The Muppet Show is actually quite Jewish. I, I don't know that I agree with it, but uh, we'll put in the notes and y'all can decide for yourself. This episode has a couple of uh, comedy sketches where aren't exactly canon, but we should mention them. We've got this Sir Avery of Macho bit where Kermit's in his little reporter outfit and he is reporting on a battle between Sir Avery of Macho and the monster of the Moors, who is Sweetums, but taller because he's standing on a rock. And Sir Avery challenges Sweetums to a battle of insults and they both lose and Sir Avery careens off stage and takes Kermit with him and spins him right past the camera, which is the funniest thing in the whole sketch. And also they yell at each other. Sir Avery, yeah. only one thing. When you and Burns had a comedy team, yeah. well, you were my favorite comedy team. Well, second favorite of all time. What do you mean second favorite? Who was first? Starsky and Hutch! <laughs> Probably qualifies as our most of its time joke of the episode. Oh, definitely. I, yeah, I think it must. Yeah, and also just want to note that Sweetums definitely blew his line and they did not go back and retake it. I kind of like that though, because it, it just feels like Sweetums is flustered in the, in the insult battle, you know, it doesn't not work. Yeah. I didn't notice that it was a a flub. They were just fighting and they, they had some fun chemistry setting up the, setting up the lines and knocking them down. I feel like this could have been a much shorter sketch. They had to lay a lot of pipe to get to the point of them insulting each other. Yeah, it it does go on a little long, but I think I think Avery Shriver and Richard Hunt are just they seem like they're having such a blast. You know, like the way that Avery Shriver just delivers this casual nobody likes you and sweeps <laughs> acts like it's the like crushing blow in a prize fight and just plays it up so much. I think that stuff is great. Uh, I love it. <laughs> There's really good eye acting on Sweetums also. Yeah. And it's funny cuz this is one of those sketches where Sweetum's arm is pinned so that Richard has the hand free to work the face and it's totally worth it. But also I felt like much in the way that whenever we see the audience, my eyes go right to the dead Muppets. I feel like I couldn't stop looking at his pinned hand. I, I don't have, I don't know how to end that, but just <laughs> I, it's a weird, it's a weird thing in a fight scene to have him literally fight one handed, but of course it's not physical fisticuffs. So it's more important for him to be able to move his mouth and eyes. So I get it, but it's weird to me that they did not come up with a solution to be able to move both hands because like they figured that out for Big Bird. Yeah. My musical brain spent most of this sketch sad that this wasn't made a year later because the monster of the Moors made me think of Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights. (laughs) So I was just imagining, you know, Sweetums, it's me, Avery, I've come home. Anyway. um. (laughs) This feels like 
it's maybe riffing on Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but it's less funny maybe because they're not doing silly accents or maybe just because it's longer and we've already heard this joke before. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can definitely see that influence. So there's some cute stuff in there. There's some cute stuff in Avery Schreiber's other sketch. He's playing a museum guard and uh, Fozzie is playing a, a painting who comes to life and tries to steal Avery's lunch whenever he's not looking, uh, which is really fun. And there's there's no dialogue. There's just this sweet little music playing and it I, I got a very Sesame Street vibe out of it. It felt a lot like in the the early seasons of Sesame Street, they were trying to make these comedy duos happen where there were Buddy and Jim and Larry and Phyllis and Wally and Ralph. And this this felt like a Sesame comedy duo waiting to happen. It would have been strange to see Fozzie on Sesame Street, but it would have been funny to see Avery and Fozzie team up and do silent sketches. You've talked many times on the show already about how great Frank Oz is. And Indeed. Man, this is such a great example of that because like you say Fozzie doesn't say a word and this is such a funny pantomime performance from Fozzie. I don't know how Frank Oz does it, but there's just it this feels absolutely like a like he's one of the great physical comedians. Yeah, it's incredible to watch. And you can you can see all of Fozzie's expressions and he doesn't have a malleable face like Kermit does, but he is acting the hell out of this. It's really lovely I also to watch. Think there's something about the generosity that he has with a scene partner. And I know we talk a lot about Frank and Jim as a comedy duo, but I think part of what makes them an excellent duo is that they're both so open to working with a partner and it works best when they're with each other, but it also is something they bring into their interactions with other scene partners as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And just just because I was nerdy about the lighting last week, I'm going to be nerdy about the lighting here. The Whatever they're doing to make it look like they're in a painting is also pretty remarkable. Yeah, especially, yeah. No, you're right. It really like, looks like a painting of Fozzie at the start. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just, it's a, I didn't love this sketch, but on a technical level, everything about it is working really well. This did to me feel like the revival of an old sketch that you would see on a burlesque stage in between the strippers. I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> I also wanted to point out that the, the music, which as we mentioned was a, another Derek Scott piece sounds a lot like cool, cool, considerate men from 1776 <laughs> to the point that the first time I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I did just advocate for them being silent comedy partners, but I would go for them suddenly busting out in 1776 for no reason at all. That is the perfect musical to do with Muppets because there's only two women in it. Right. And it might actually make 1776 interesting. Boo! They did did do um, a 1776 spoof. The Muppets did. Of the the Uh, musical? Yeah. uh, It's a special called I Love Liberty from 1982 where it starts out with like a 1776 riff and it's... Kermit as John Adams and Fozzie as John Dickinson, I think. They don't do the songs from 1776. They actually do uh, Brotherhood of Man. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which I cited earlier in this episode. Yeah, 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 you did. But uh, it's... And it's written by Jerry Jewell. I mean, it, it it feels like Muppet stuff. You know, it's not it's not like one of these like weird, bad, newer Muppet things. <laughs> Everybody should watch it every Fourth of July. 
Yeah. Big great. Bird, Martin Sheen, and the Muppets participated in I Love Liberty, a two hour television special that Norman Lear produced for People for the American Way. What's not to love? I didn't know I wanted until just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beautiful. It also has the Muppets yelling, Song cue, you're welcome, and then busting into song. It does. It's great. <laughs> right. I guess we have some canonical sketches in this episode. We've got a Muppet Lab segment with Buns and Honeydew introducing the Gorilla Detector. And how many people do you know whose vacations were ruined because they were eaten by undetected gorillas? Well, no more of that. Yeah, <laughs> we won't have it uh, until we do, because uh, as soon as he introduces the Gorilla Detector, it malfunctions when a gorilla attacks, and there's no beaker to suffer yet, so it is Dr. Bunsen Honeydew who is dragged off stage by the gorilla. Well, I, I kind of wonder if this wasn't like the sketch that inspired the creation of Beaker. Because it because is. Because somebody needs to suffer who wasn't Bunsen? Right. It's so strange that Bunsen is being dragged away and he's like, I know I'm not being dragged away because the gorilla detector isn't saying it. Like, it would be so funny if Beaker was being dragged away by a gorilla and it's not funny because it's Bunsen. I don't know. Weird. Yeah, that makes sense. This was, and I, I mentioned the Muppet Show book at the start. This sketch is in that book, and it's so much funnier in the book when it's when it's a drawing of a gorilla, a painting, than it is a person in a gorilla suit. Yeah, so that also that makes I, sense. Yeah, it's one that I like because I read it dozens of times before I saw it, you know? My complaint is that I don't understand why it's a person in a gorilla suit and not a Muppet gorilla. I do understand because you can't actually have a Muppet gorilla climb through the window the way this gorilla enters. Although you could have a gorilla suit that looked more like a Muppet gorilla. I don't know. It just seemed like a weird choice. I mean, I think it has to be a real quote unquote real gorilla. Why? Cause that's the joke. I mean, Kermit's I a real frog. <laughs> yeah. <We could've- laughs> Muppy's a real dog. <laughs> but, Muppy I will credit- like a, but Muppy doesn't look like other Muppets, right? Muppy doesn't look like Baskerville or Rolf. So I think that's what they're going for with the gorilla suit. I, I, I get what you're saying. So they should have but- had a live gorilla that was sometimes a puppet, is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, ideally, yes. I think that's what they should have done if they could have. But they were going for. I understand for- why that's not possible. So I want to credit this episode for directing me to the gorilla suits page of the Muppet Wiki which features a long list of occurrences of gorilla suits in various Muppet productions. And if you go there, you will find pictures of Bert in a gorilla suit and Waldorf in a gorilla suit. There's lots to love there. <laughs> I do think that Bunsen's gorilla detector machine looks a lot like Donkey Kong. Yes. Which That's is fair. funny because Donkey Kong doesn't exist yet, I think, in 1977. Correct. And uh, it makes me wish that the Muppets would do like a Super Mario Donkey Kong show. I think that'd be fun. Mm. With a video game controller that looks like the Gorilla Detector. Sure. I'd watch My it. My nine-year-old nephew would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I'd just picture it. a Yoshi Muppet. How fucking cute would that be? Oh, that <laughs> would be fucking cute. <laughs> so at the dance, Ralph is making more jokes about how he's a dog. Animal and his dance partner are still shoving each other around and pretty much enjoying it. Buggy, buggy, buggy! Ah! <laughs> Thank you! Does animals 
Dan's partner have a name? Uh, She's been in almost every episode, and we just call her like that lady. But there are these characters who show up for one sketch, and it's like, oh, that's Andre. Everyone knows Andre. Like, yeah. <laughs> I keep keep stalling. I'll check the wiki right now. I'm just guessing that this might be a little more of that classic Muppet misogyny. Yeah, I mean, if I think if she had a name, the wiki would have linked to her, and they don't. So I, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, the wiki page says Aaron Oscar as Animal's dancing partner. So There you go. Um, I do think it's funny that she also like throws him to the floor. I think that that makes it work in a way that it wouldn't if it was just Animal throwing her to the floor. Yeah, it's, this is at least the second or third time we've seen this gag, though, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I haven't been watching them in order, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's still funny. It's been getting less funny <laughs> with every repetition. Well, I think it's weird that she screams when Animal yells, like she, Animal yells boogie, boogie, boogie. She screams when she hits the floor. So like she's into sedation, but she's still screaming. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> True. She does get a line uh, that I found, but it's both of its time and uh, relatable. Um, when uh, the guru asks why she's not bothered by Animal's treatment of her. I noticed nothing bothers you. Are you into meditation? No! I just feel like it's not something you can necessarily get away with today. And uh, also, I kind of want I want whatever she's on. <laughs> also, this is the laziest moment of puppeting that we've seen probably in the whole series right now. The guru who has not been in At The Dance yet has to appear to make this joke work. But it doesn't really matter who he's dancing with. So they literally just put like a costume with a wig and I don't even think there's a Muppet in it. He's dancing with like a body that has no face. It's so weird. (laughs) There's a veterinarian's hospital sketch. There is a chicken. Who's the patient. There are some chicken jokes. They were funnier a couple of weeks ago when those jokes were about a duck. Uh, Besides this should be right up your alley. That's true. I am a bird dog. (laughs) Are you really? Sure. Every year I fly south for the winter. Don't your arms get tired? Well, now will be a moment of silence. Why? Well, that joke that just died in the operating room. (laughs) Hey, we got to do something about this, turkey. It's a chicken. I'm a chicken. The sketch is a turkey. (laughs) I appreciate the work of the rim shot there. Yeah, it's it's doing a lot of work that the writing is not. It is also a joy to hear Frank Oz perform Piggy in a Veterinary's Hospital sketch. Yeah, that worked so well I didn't even notice. That's happened. <laughs> I will say there's some great puppetry. The chicken tries to get away. I love and that. It was just so, there's something about it was so cute. Um, obviously, I made a gif. <laughs> did you make a gif of Piggy plucking her eyebrows? Her, I did her non-existent eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, pigs don't have yeah. eyebrows. Everybody knows that. Well, sure. Everybody who's watched them up at Steak Manhattan. Perhaps if she didn't pluck them, she would have them. Perhaps. <laughs> Never thought about that. But I also, I like that running gag of, of Piggy. Vets Hospital opens with Piggy doing something with the medical equipment. Um, the huffing the gas was probably the most extreme. <laughs> but it plucking is. eyebrows is good too. <laughs> plucking eyebrows is less egregious than going off to La La Land right before an operating procedure. Fuzzy has a comedy bit, and he gets heckled. Avery Schreiber comes to his rescue, and then start complaining about his old comedy partner, 
Jack Burns, who happens to be head writer of The Muppet Show at this very moment. What an unbelievable coincidence. Um, <laughs> Fuzzy tries unsuccessfully to get a laugh with the old banana in the ear stick, and uh, he fails at that, but Avery manages to get a laugh with it. Why is it that when I did it, you didn't laugh, but when Avery does it, you go crazy? Oh, it's his pace. His timing. His delivery. His ear. <laughs> you see, Jack, I told you it would work. It's cute, and it's supposed to be a joke, but his pace and his timing, and I don't know about his ear, but the whole face that he makes when he inserts a banana into his ear actually has made me laugh several times now. Yeah, I think it's really funny. I always have. Yeah, his delivery of the banana into his ear. <laughs> it works. <laughs> right. Well, I also love the way Fozzie says, hey, that's funny shtick. Yeah. <laughs> putting a banana those, in your ear. One of those great Frank Oz line deliveries. Yeah. It's a classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fozzie does say that's a great shtick. I don't know whether he's alluding to the classic Burton Ernie sketch, I can't hear you, I have a banana in my ear bit. <laughs> Did anybody do it before Burton Ernie? Frank Oz. Loves nothing more than to give Frank Oz credit for a Frank Oz bit. <laughs> although, although, like, to be fair, that's mostly a Jim Henson bit. Like, True. I mean, Bert kind of freaks out at the end, but it's mostly just like Ernie <laughs> being, what's that, Bert? Can't hit you. Know. Yeah. Well, we have a clip. I said you have a banana in your ear, Ernie. Uh, bananas are food they are to eat, not to put in your ear, Ernie. What'd you say, Bert? Will you just take that banana out of your ear? I'm sorry, you'll have to speak a little louder, Bert. I can't hear you. I have a banana in my ear. <laughs> Fuzzy's right. That's some great shtick. Great shtick. I love it. Yeah. But like the Fuzzy and Avery bit is to just put a banana in his <laughs> ear. That's that's the whole joke. Yeah. yeah, not to have a whole argument about it, which it is funnier to have a whole argument about it. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's one of those things where like, I think the joke is that that's such a dumb thing to like to build your act around. Right. <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. Name broke, don't fix it. There is also a whole Muppet Wiki page about banana in the ear, which I'm I'm here to sing the praises of Muppet Wiki today. Thanks, you Muppet know, Wiki. <laughs> according to the the Independent, the UK newspaper, the banana in the ear comedic bit goes back to the 40s and 50s. Sure, that makes sense. There you go. That's great shtick. Marie Lloyd, famous for her repartee, is often credited with the fruit's debut as stock innuendo when she picked up a banana skin from the stage and remarked, if the man who threw this wants to get his skin back, he can come to my dressing room afterwards. Golly. I think even if it had happened before, I'd be willing to bet that Bert and Ernie perfected the banana in the ear stick. Certainly for American audiences. Just in case anybody was wondering whether there is any Muppet news tonight, there is a Muppet News flash, but there is no news tonight, which we've heard before. <laughs> so they had to, not only did they run out of songs, and not only is there no news tonight, they're, they, they ran out of Muppet News flashes. There's something very funny about if you're going to repeat a Muppet News flash to repeat the no news flash news flash. <laughs> That's true. Right. Although, although most of the ones have had guest stars in them, right? So far? Yes. That's probably about half and half, probably, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like Avery Schreiber, of all of the Muppet Show guest stars, he would have fit better with the Muppet News Flash than most of the guest stars. But, oh well, there's no news. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt like those guest star bits uh, in the news flashes would have worked better if they were, like, 
at the desk, like a weekend update bit. Yeah, it's a uh, rough going, but it would be fun to see them sitting at the desk with the newsman. We seem to have come to the end of our thoughts on this episode. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Before we say goodbye, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yes, a couple of things. Um, you can always read writing by me and a whole bunch of other characters at toughpigs.com. We're posting new stuff all the time. So, you know, if you're listening to this show and don't know what Tough Pigs is, we got 20 years worth of stuff almost for you to check out. And one of the things we have is a podcast called Moving Right Along, which we mentioned at the top of the show. But we have been doing that for almost three movies. We're almost done with Muppets Take Manhattan, doing the Muppet movies two minutes at a time. Mikal was just on. as When this episode comes out, her episode of our show should be out. So that'll be one of the newest ones. If you want to if you want to sample it with a familiar voice, I'd recommend it. All right. Well, we can't wait to listen to that. Well, you got to give them credit. Why is that? Well, they're going to keep on doing it till they get it right. And so are we. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Wampaturgy. And thank you to our special guest, our Anthony Strand. Join us next week for a discussion of the Ben Green episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy, or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, you know what to do. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Ryan Backus. This episode was edited by me, David Lowe. Because John, it was definitely John Lovelady in the the Sherlock Holmes sketch, where he had the sort of like Corky St. Clair L O R U accent, but uh, <laughs> but the uh, but but the, but, but the terrible sausage song. Oh, that that was absolutely Jerry Nelson. Oh, was oh yeah. Maybe you just noticed because it was a terrible sausage song, so you just attributed <laughs> just out. the worst performance. What's the name of it. that song? Oh, a doggy dog. <laughs> doggy dog. Doggy dog. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible sausage. Yeah, we're going to edit the wiki after this and just call it the terrible sausage song. <laughs>